Hey there, welcome to the Will Preach for Food podcast. I'm Doug, I'm pastor of Faith Lutheran Church based out of Shelton, Washington. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Let's give a shout out to the ELCA. Thank you so much for tuning in. This weekend, I'm officiating my first COVID-19 baptism. So I put together this podcast to serve as a sort of 20-minute primer on baptism. What is baptism? What it means for the Christian faith? And whether or not baptism might be right for you or your loved one. A transcript and study resources are available at our website, www.faithshelton.org. Eventually here, we're going to take a look at some scriptures, looking at Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. It's the story of the baptism of Jesus. But we're going to start with a little joke. So there's a young woman who is out hiking the PCT on a summer day much like this one. While crossing a small stream, she notices a frog perched on the side of the trail. The frog, to the hiker's surprise, speaks to her, saying, Help me, help me. I was a handsome prince until an evil sorcerer cast a spell on me that turned me into this frog, and the only way to break the spell is for someone as lovely as you to kiss me, and I'll turn back into a handsome prince. The hiker picks up the frog, puts it in the palm of her hand, smiles, and puts the frog in her knapsack and resumes her hike. After a while, the hiker stops for a water break and the frog calls out to her again, help me, help me, please, I really am a handsome and wealthy prince. Kiss me and the spell will be broken and we can live together happily ever after. The hiker again picks up the frog, holds it in the palm of her hand, smiles, and puts the frog back in her bag. She arrives at her destination, reaches past the frog for her lunch, and the frog pleads to her, Why won't you kiss me and break the spell? She picks up the frog, holds the frog in the palm of her hand, smiles, and replies, Well, I'm not really interested in a long-term relationship, but a talking frog is pretty cool. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Now let's read Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 13, the story of the baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Here ends the reading. All four gospel accounts of the life of Jesus mark the beginning of his ministry with his baptism by a fiery preacher named John, who happened to be Jesus' cousin, at the Jordan River in a region known as Galilee. Religious water rituals were not uncommon back in those days. It was a kind of initiation rite, a symbol of cleansing and purification, a sign of commitment, even drowning and rebirth. The Gospels of Mark and Luke say that John preached a baptism for repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. But baptism later became a central practice in the Christian church, the great bath of the Christian church. 
The risen Jesus commissioned his followers to go make disciples and to baptize. And the day of Pentecost, the great birthday of the church, saw 3,000 people respond to the message of the gospel by being baptized. The early church saw baptism as an adoption into God's family. It was being born again or being washed and made, and made clean. There's a great scene in the movie, O Brother, Where Art Thou?, in which three Depression-era escaped convicts in the deep south stumble upon a baptism service beside the river. One of the convicts runs into the water, gets dunked by the preacher, and returns to his friends with a look of ecstasy and peace. The preacher done told me that all my sins are washed away. The Bible describes a clear correlation between baptism and faith and salvation. Mark 16 says, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. So some churches teach that baptism is best when the person is of age and can choose for themselves. Other churches emphasizing the agency and grace of God tend to baptize younger. Lutherans are um, among the latter. I myself, I was baptized when I was 17 days old at Peace Lutheran Church in Wainwright, Alberta. I suspect my folks took one look at me and figured they'd better get me hooked up with the big guy as soon as possible. In the Lutheran tradition, baptism and communion are the two sacraments of the church. Lutherans emphasize that baptism isn't so much about the water as it is about God's promise in the water, the forgiveness of sins, deliverance from death and the devil, and everlasting salvation. The Catechism says that water by itself is only water, but with the Word of God it is a life-giving water which by grace gives the new birth through the Holy Spirit. By the way, there are a couple of nice books out there on baptism authored by a Lutheran pastor from Woodby Island. His name is Daniel Erlander. I've included links to his book. Uh, there's one for parents, Let the Children Come, as well as a book for youth and adults interested in baptism called Water Washed and Spirit Born. Both are now published by Augsburg Fortress Press. They don't cost very much. And we even have copies at Faith as well. But let's go back to the story of Jesus' own baptism by John at the River Jordan. Apparently, this re religious washing ceremony, this baptism, it's John's calling card, and it earns him the nickname Baptizer John, or John the Baptist. He's the event of the summer, attracting crowds from all over the area. Jesus is about 30 at this time, and he attends one of John's rallies. He gets in line for his turn to be baptized. I suppose John's been baptizing all morning. He's soaking wet. He turns to receive his next subject, and there's Jesus standing right in front of him, grinning like a kid in a candy store. Jesus, H. Christ, what are you doing here? John pulls his cousin aside and says to him, Look, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Now, John had earlier alluded to, to someone who was going to come after him, whose sandals John was not worthy even to carry. And now Jesus shows up. So either John has known all along about Jesus' true identity, or John at this moment senses Jesus' power. Either way, John hesitates. But Jesus insists, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Well, John consents. Jesus is baptized. And as he comes up out of the water, Jesus sees the Spirit of God descend from heaven on, and come on him like a dove. He hears a voice from heaven say, This is my beloved Son. With him I am well pleased. 
And then the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So there's good news and bad news when it comes to baptism. First, the good news, and it's this. Whenever there's a baptism, God shows up in true biblical triune fashion, Son, Spirit, and Father. First to the party is Jesus. He shows up at baptism to fulfill all righteousness, which is a really cool way of saying that it's just the right thing to do. I worked at McDonald's back in my high school days. I had a manager named Carlos. He told me that he never asked his employees to do anything that he himself had not, had not done or would not do himself. Well, Jesus models obedience. Jesus does the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Jesus sets the tone, the example for the rest of us. And so any one of us who admires Jesus and wants to emulate Jesus, well, we ought to do what Jesus did, including being obedient, including baptism to fulfill all righteousness. Next onto the scene is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is really good at bringing gifts to parties, spiritual gifts like faith and hope and love, forgiveness, life and salvation. Did I mention the Spirit brings really good gifts? So when a person is baptized, we talk about that person receiving the gifts of the Spirit and even the, uh, receiving the Holy Spirit itself, who is described in the Bible as the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of God, the Spirit of joy in God's presence. And so just as the Spirit descended and alighted upon Jesus in baptism, so we in baptism are sealed with the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. So Jesus shows up, the Spirit shows up, and last but certainly not least, the Father of Jesus makes an appearance. The Father sanctions this occasion and foots the bill. The Father vouches for the one being baptized and approves of this message. The same unconditional, radical, paternal love that the Father expresses to, God, to Jesus is what God expresses in and through the waters of baptism every time God's name is invoked, including at your own baptism, listener. The Father of Jesus in the waters of baptism says, This is my beloved daughter. This is my precious child. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The good news is when there's a baptism, God shows up, Son, Spirit, and Father. Now, the bad news. Baptism comes with a warning label, because when there's a baptism, well, the devil shows up too, hoping to spoil the fun and break up the band. See, baptism makes a person truly alive and free and therefore dangerous, a threat to the status quo. And so the devil tempts us to put the gifts of the Spirit on the shelf in, in favor of self-gratification or pride or greed or lust. The devil plants seeds of doubt in our hearts. The promises of, of baptism are too good to be true after all, aren't they? Following Jesus means time in the wilderness, facing our mortality, taking up our cross, making hard choices. Baptism raises the stakes, you see. It makes life harder, not easier. It makes, like, it makes life better, but not without pain. Simply put, baptism is the beginning of the Christian life. This includes the reality of sin, temptation, struggles, doubts, and wilderness. 
This includes the messiness of Christian community. I mean, what do you expect when you take a bunch of forgiven sinners and put them all in one place? This includes the blessed assurance of the presence of God, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the unconditional love of the God who created you and all living things. Baptism is the beginning of the Christian life, and to take it one step further, baptism is also the rhythm, the pattern of the Christian life. Baptism models a daily practice of drowning a new life, of dying and rising. Our catechism teaches baptism as meaning that, quote, our sinful self with all its evil deeds and desires should be drowned through daily repentance and that day after day a new self should arise to live with God in righteousness and purity forever, unquote. So baptism is an initiation into the Christian community. It's an invitation to eternal life that begins now. Baptism is a party that God is sure to attend, a party that's, that's worth it, even though the devil likes to show up and try to spoil the fun. Well, speaking of spoiling the fun, let me tell you about four baptism details that I have come to believe don't matter nearly as much as I used to think they did. The first is the amount of water used. The details of Jesus' baptism are vague at best. Was he ankle deep? Knee deep? Does it matter? I've baptized people in swimming pools, in creeks, in sanctuaries, and hospital rooms. The Bible doesn't bother to tell us how much water to use, so I don't worry about how much water to use. After all, it's not the water itself, but God's word in the water. The second thing that I don't think matters much is the age of the person baptized. The Bible doesn't put an age restriction on it. There is clear correlation between baptism and faith, but there is not clear causation or chronological order to baptism and faith in the Bible. In fact, in the Bible and in my own experience, I've seen that sometimes baptism leads to faith and sometimes faith leads to baptism. Some make the choice themselves and others are brought to the font. I've baptized children hours after their birth and I've baptized hospice patients hours before their death. What's the best age to be baptized? The answer is now. Another baptism detail that I don't believe matters nearly as much as I used to think that it did is the issue of how many times. Now, the Bible is clear that once is enough. <laughs> God got it right the first time. But I've spoken with dozens of people over the years who felt led to be re-baptized. One was to be able to join a new church. Some have wanted to do it simply to recommit themselves to a life of faith or to show gratitude to God for, for a, a miracle of healing and faith. I've known a couple of people who wanted desperately to heal a memory of a past negative church experience. When it comes to baptism, you only need to do it once. God got it right the first time. And I'm learning that baptism might be used by the Holy Spirit for other things as well. And the fourth thing that I think doesn't matter nearly as much as I used to think it did is who officiates the baptism. All disciples of Jesus, all of us, 
are commissioned by Jesus to go and make disciples and baptize. There are some good reasons to have pastors and church records and things done in an orderly and decent way. But seriously, why should pastors have all the fun? Okay, enough of that. I've probably said enough to get myself in trouble. Good thing nobody's recording this. What? This is a podcast? Whoopie doodle. Well, the point is this. <laughs> the promise given in baptism is no less than the presence of God, the forgiveness of sin, life, salvation, and a call to Christian life and Christian community. Baptism is not a magic formula. Baptism, baptism itself doesn't save a person, but God does. And baptism manifests salvation, shows us, reveals us, uh, uh, reveals it, conveys it, proclaims it, proclaims the good news that you Precious child, matter. God loves you. All is forgiven. Welcome home. The invitation of baptism is to join the dance of the Trinity, to say yes to God, to say no to the devil, and to say, light, say yes to the life you've always wanted. In other words, the invitation of baptism is to kiss the frog. Don't settle for a talking frog, that baptism certificate that sits on the shelf, a novelty that you pull out of storage every once in a while. No, kiss the frog. In baptism, God invites you into a living, passionate, dangerous, wonderful, suffering, meaningful life in the presence and rhythm of the true God. God pursues a love relationship with you that is personal and real. Say yes, be baptized, kiss the frog. Amen? Today is a day. Today is a day to receive and respond to God's invitation to be baptized. Today is a day to finally provide for your loved one's baptism. Today is a day to recommit yourself to Christian community and a life of faith. Thank you, beloved, for listening to, listening to this week's We'll Preach for Food podcast. Let's pray. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for freeing your daughters and sons from the power of sin and for raising them up to a new life through this holy sacrament. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon those being baptized this day, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, the spirit of joy in your presence. Amen. So for more information about faith, as well as worship and study resources, you can go to our website, www.faithshelton.org. You can also listen to or subscribe to this podcast through Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any other way you listen to podcasts. Thank you, people of faith, for your love and your prayers and your financial support. Thanks to my producer, Chaz Tharp. Please share this podcast with a friend. Consider making a financial gift to Faith Shelton using the links provided. And we close with a benediction, a good word. The Lord bless you and keep you. May God's face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.